0: Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. Our guest for this week's episode is a powerhouse of a musician. Kimberly Ann Bartzak completed her combined bachelor's in solo piano and mathematics and statistics before continuing on to her master's in music in collaborative piano from the University of Toronto. We met in 2015 during one of the rehearsals for the Vancouver Opera production of Rigoletto. I was lucky enough to be watching a few of the rehearsals and even luckier to be sitting right behind Kim as she took full control of Verdi's masterpiece. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me, Ali.
0: What was your introduction to classical music and what influences did you have around you when you were growing up?
1: I started playing piano at the age of three and a half. I'm the youngest of four kids. We all started playing piano at a very, very young age. It was quite important actually for my mom, for us to have music lessons growing up. We had piano lessons, violin lessons. I also took flute lessons, guitar lessons, singing lessons for a very, very short period of time. And by no means a singer, if some of you have heard me sing, but growing up in Montreal as well. I had, I kind of followed that similar path of doing the Kiwanis festivals, but the Quebec version, which is called Vincent Dainsey, and doing also uh, the Canadian music competitions. So classical music, I would say, more importantly, uh, solo piano classical music was very, very uh, integral in my life growing up. My mom also conducted a we'll call it a local choir. My mom would go to, would conduct this choir. And on Wednesday nights, which, you know, if I behaved properly during the week, my little treat would be, I would get to go to these rehearsals with her. She would always put me beside either the basses or the tenors and have me just sight read next to them to make sure that they were actually singing the right notes. Uh, <laughs> what what would be really funny is because I had perfect pitch, it was actually quite easy for me. So like. These old, you know, 50, 60 year old men who loved singing, but couldn't read music. They'd just be like, what is going on? So it just ended up being this, you know, Wednesday night from seven to 10 treat that I would get to do. And then obviously in my head, I'm like, I get to stay up till 1030 at night.
0: How old were you?
1: Uh, I'd say maybe nine, 10 years old. Oh,
0: that's every kid's dream. Oh, of
1: course. You know, getting and to, you stay get up, to stick stay- it but, to older people. Yeah. <laughs> music was always very, very important. And I think because I had such a strong choral background, that's how I wanted to be a conductor one day. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at the singers. I wouldn't look at the musicians. I would always look at the conductor, how they were able to to control a room, control a sound. And I told myself, you know, one day that's, that's going to be me.
0: I have to ask, um, how did mathematics and statistics... Get in, get into the fray of this uh, budding musical career.
1: Yeah. I feel like I kind of led a little bit of a double life. You know, I I did all the competitions. I went to a public high school, uh, but I went to a private music school on the weekends. So like Friday nights, Saturdays, all day, I would go to this music school and nobody in high school knew I played piano. Back then, to me, it was, I felt as if it wasn't an acceptable thing. So when I finished high school, and in Quebec you have to do college before going to university, and my piano teacher had said, you know, Kim, if you want to, you can just go straight to university, you can go to McGill to do solo piano. And I was 17, and I said, you know what, That it's it's not for me. I don't know what I want to do, but I, I, I felt as if I was being pressured into doing piano, into, into going into music because I was good, um, not because I actually wanted to. And I felt like I always kind of – Would go back to the whole mathematical side because I really liked math in high school. My brother had told me, he's like, you know what? I think he would be a really good actuarian. And at the time, I was just like, what is an actuarian? And, And, you know, really basic, it's someone calculating the probabilities of things happening in the future. You know, it's a six figure salary coming out of university. I was like, you know what? Like, I can do this. I can suck it up for four years of doing mathematics at university. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of like the easy way out in a little bit. And as I was doing those classes, I very, very quickly realized that being an actuarian was not for me. I do not have the personality. It's, you know, more based for how you can save money for companies instead of like being there for humans. And I, I need the human interaction in life. I realized very quickly that it just wasn't for me. And at that time I kind of said, oh, you know what, like, what if I took some music classes I went to the, the music department and I had to ask them, you know, if I could take classes. And it was funny because both my brothers had gone to Concordia University in music before me. My eldest brother was in jazz and then my other brother was in electroacoustics. And, you know, when they found out who I was, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you can take some electives. And I think it was probably by like my second piano lesson with my teacher at the time. His name is Gregory Chabardian. I realized, you know what, this, this is the path that I need to do. It's, it's interesting because I, I love mathematics to this day. And even with this pandemic, I, there was a part of me that's, that thought, oh, maybe I can audit some math classes in university and you know kind of brush up on my calculus and my integral cal. So I always feel that there is this very strong mathematical side of me that still is quite pressing. But what I find super fascinating is with the pandemic, I've been able to use a lot of those applications into sound engineering. You know, even just something simple as analyzing a sound wave. You know, I use this program, Audacity, that's free online. I'm using it right now. Oh, are you? (laughs) Like, what I find so fascinating is if you listen to different voices, even different voice types, you will get a very different sound wave from one person to the next. Even plosive and fricative consonants you can see it automatically on a sound wave. Like it's not obviously the calculus or the linear algebra aspect of mathematics, but it's still, you still have to know, you know, sine waves, how to, how to analyze them in a way. So it's, it's been kind of interesting because I never would have really taken the time before to put the two together. And you know, and now here we are.
0: (laughs) So you graduated from uh, Concordia And then you moved on to the University of Toronto for your master's. Was there a pivotal moment in your master's that, again, uh, propelled you forward to the young artist phase of your life?
1: So when I had finished my undergrad, I realized that what I wanted to do is I wanted to be a conductor. I had talked to some people and a lot of people had said, you know, as a solo pianist, Kim, you don't really learn the repertoire as if you were in an orchestra. So I, you know, I kind of asked myself, well, how can I learn the repertoire? And someone had told me, well, a common path that people do is they become an opera rep. So they play in opera houses, they learn the repertoire, and then you kind of do the path of like becoming an assistant conductor to then become a conductor. So I said, perfect, sign me up. Where do I go? So at the time, Stephen Philcox had just started teaching at University of Toronto and him and I got along really well. So I said, you know what? I'm going to apply at U of T in collaborative piano. I hadn't played an opera yet at that time. And I probably saw one opera. And yet here I am applying to do a master's thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to be fine. And I can, I can play piano. I can go learn repertoire and follow a conductor. I quickly realized that I was extremely green. I didn't know any opera repertoire. Like I knew the voice, but to a you know very, very elementary knowledge And I just kind of threw myself in. And then between my first and my second year of master's, I went to COSY, the U of T's um, Center for Opera Studies in Italy program. And I met Les Dalla. And he was the one who had told me about the Young Arts program in Vancouver. And he said, I should apply. I did want to go into a Young Artist artist program, but I didn't know to what extent, how inexperienced I was to get accepted into a Young arts program. And to this day, I am forever grateful to Les. It's because of him that I am where I am. He was the one who believed in me from the beginning. I feel like I blossomed so much from that program. And and having somebody like Les that's on your team is is so invaluable. Um, and that's, you know, I haven't worked with him since I want to say 2016 when I went to Vancouver to do Nozze. But every time I'm in the city or we're in the same city, we make a point to have a coffee together or every six months I'll, you know, we'll catch up. And, and it's so integral, right? He, he was never a teacher, but in a way he was a very strong mentor of mine.
0: Les you better be listening.
1: Yes. Right. (laughs)
0: You are an absolute powerhouse of a human being and musician. Just in 2018, 2019, you were the music director of the Bicycle Opera Project, assistant conductor of Opera on the Avalon, head coach at Pacific Opera Victoria, Fraser Lyric Opera and the Neil Seamer Vocal Institute, while you were still maintaining a full schedule as a resident conductor and repertoire at Calgary Opera. And I mentioned the above In order to get to my main point of congratulating you uh, for your most recent appointment as principal coach and accompanist at uh, Pacific Opera Victoria, in all of these projects that you did, that you've done, did you have a message that you wanted to translate through them being in a position where you were directly molding the musical world around you?
1: So So I am a yes person. If someone asks me to do something, I will do everything in my power to help out and to make that happen. Yes, it was an extremely busy year, but it was such a fruitful year as well. To me, if it's something that you're extremely passionate about, it's so important to do what you love. You know, I, I, I recognize that I'm extremely fortunate that I have been given all these opportunities, but I'd like to also think that I worked very hard for them. What's important to me is knowing my limits and yet making sure that I stay true to myself while respecting everything around me, you know, because it's, it can happen so easily that you, you end up saying yes. And then you feel overwhelmed also recognizing your own limits, but seeing true value in what's, uh, what's important.
0: When you were in Calgary Opera, I mean, I was, uh, I follow all my friends and everyone who do things online um, regularly. And you did the At the Piano series uh, for Calgary Opera. Yeah. And one of my favorite episodes is your introduction to the character of Tatiana in Eugene Onegin. You obviously have a talent for making music education relatable and really enjoyable, what do you think needs to happen in that realm so that more kids, young adults, and even adults can be introduced to classical music and opera in a positive way?
1: It's funny. Every time someone talks to me about this, I always refer to them to a TED talk that was done by Benjamin Sander, which is called The Transformative Power of Classical Music. He starts with, and I'm sure a lot of people know about this, it's, it's the story of two shoe salesmen in Africa. And they apparently, they both go to Africa and one of them, you know, reports back and he says, no one here wears any shoes. There is no market for us. Whereas the other salesman says, no one here wears any shoes yet. There is a huge market, send inventory fast. When I listened to that TED talk the first time, it kind of made me realize that the way we approach it will be how people will respond to it. So if I am extremely passionate about something, I feel that there is no doubt in my mind that I can share that passion with someone else. So I absolutely love doing those little at the piano moments. And what I felt was important, it was just kind of giving a glimpse. So I always wanted it to be like under two and a half minutes, a little introduction to kind of give you a very quick idea of what to listen for so that when you're at the opera, you already have something that you could connect to you know, this is the theme and we're we're hearing this theme over and over again, but it's under different emotions that Tatiana is feeling. You kind of end up getting a different color, different emotion, different sound. If I remember correctly, I think I had also done one for tosca and oh, i had kind of I was going to mention that
0: one i was yeah. going to mention that because <laughs> it is so good the way you go through every motif for each just so yes please yeah. please explain and yeah and i,
1: I explain <laughs> all the motifs and then i think i i if i remember correctly i zoned in on scarpia's like it's the first thing you hear in the opera you hear it at the end of the Deum, which is like so powerful but you also hear it throughout the opera and the way he orchestrated it is so interesting because sometimes it makes it—he's blatantly obvious. Other times he's not, and he'll he'll put it under certain words. Is this Scarpia foreshadowing his own death? Is it in response to a certain emotion? So it's as an audience member, if you don't know what to expect, obviously you can't share that emotion that you have with someone, other than saying, "Oh well, that sounded really pretty." And The singing didn't hurt my ears. But if there's something that you can connect to and be like, oh wow, I could hear the oboe line. Oh, I could hear those two chords, you know, like, and then the other thing too is like if you break down those three chords, it's you know, there's a tritone. Like, where is it coming from? Like it's just so ominous, so different than what you would expect. So it's kind of just building that knowledge step by step along the way.
0: And really going into the DNA of the piece instead of just the superficial. Exactly. Yeah.
1: You know, one thing that I really enjoyed when I was in Vancouver Opera when I was a young artist is they would throw us into schools. Well they wouldn't throw us. They would it would all be planned obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But the dress rehearsal would always be geared towards high school students that would go to the dress rehearsals. like I think it's like $15 tickets or something like that at the time. And we would go to the school and we would introduce them to some of the arias that they would hear and the plot of the story. And as someone who didn't grow up in the opera world, hearing music that's in a completely different language than something that I would speak on a regular basis, it's so easy to disconnect from it unless you know what they're talking about, unless you know what is being shared with you. There needs to be an interactive moment, something that you can connect to together on a similar path. By doing that, you end up kind of creating this bond or relationship that you're going on this journey together.
0: I feel, I know we're in a different time and a different age, but um, I feel like that kind of approach um, needs to come back more. Uh, I mean, and I and I'll pose this question to yourself as someone who has done these videos. Do you think that they just need to be shorter so that they um, keep the person's attention, uh, the 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 watcher's attention, or is there another? Or or are we fundamentally looking at engagement with our audience the wrong way?
1: Music education in schools is so important, and. I don't know. Growing up, like there was so much classical music and Looney Tunes, in oh
0: god, yes, in
1: shows. Like growing up, that you didn't actually realize. I that. knew
0: Rossini before I knew Rossini.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's that kind of contact or connection that I feel that that we should try to bring back. Everyone knows the Bugs Bunny's version of the overture of Barber's Seville to this day. Kids. Like I will watch, I will show that to my niece and nephew and they think it's the most hilarious thing. And then you end up telling them like, oh, that's actually from a really famous opera. And then they'll listen to it and they'll think it's super cool. But then after the overture, we go into the next numbers and then they're already not interested anymore because there's, they they can't connect to it. They can't connect to a, a video that they, they can watch it to. So I don't think it's a question of us connecting because I do think opera has always been to an older audience and if you think about it it is an expensive ticket young families don't necessarily have the budget to be able to spend money on the opera so instead of us honing to trying to get them to buy our tickets in my head it's why don't we actually go to the students to their kids to introduce them to the opera
0: Over the last two seasons of the podcast, I have had the opportunity to speak with many incredible musicians and artists, eight of whom, yourself being the ninth, have been women. How has it been um, for yourself making a name and career as a conductor and um being a woman in the 21st century?
1: To be perfectly candid, being a rep has never been an issue there there are many women repetitors you know across canada the united states and europe as a conductor i will say it's much harder and i'm for for many reasons not only that you get this feeling of hmm i wonder if the musician would have said the same thing if i was a male conductor it's hard because you kind of want to tell yourself that you've put in all the work and and it's true like there's there's not many female conductors i was very inspired by Judith Yon when I was at Opera on the Avalon. She kind of took me under her wing for about four or five summers. And I would go there every summer and just kind of talk to her about everything. And she would always say, you know, just don't give up. If this is what you want to do, then keep doing it. On the contrary, I also find myself struggling with is when I do get those conducting gigs, I will often ask myself, hmm, am I getting hired because I am good enough or because I'm a female? Am I ticking that box for that grant approval? Am I here because I worked hard for it and I deserve to be here? Or am I here because Canada Council was giving me an extra $50,000 to get a female conductor on the podium? It's a hard struggle. I will say that seeing another female conductor on the podium, I've never had the privilege of working with Rosemary, but I've met her a few times. I've also met Tanya Miller a few times, and I'm good friends with Kathleen Allen the idea of knowing that you have a support network, even though you don't see each other that often or you know, ever really work together, you're there for each other that, and that's what keeps me going. Knowing that I, I can call Judith today and just you know, ask her a conducting question and she will text me back within 30 seconds. It's knowing that you have that team that's there for you. But it's, it's true. It's, it's definitely not easy. But I don't think you should ever give up for that.
0: If you were to give the younger generation of women who are looking to become conductors and leaders in their own right in the arts, any advice, what would it be? What would you tell yourself if you could go back?
1: If I were to tell myself, I would say, go find your team, Kim. Go find people that support you and that will have your back no matter what be strong don't give up and find find your support network that when there will be hardship because there will be i i think that there's got to be some downs for there to be ups but that when you're down that there is somebody there that will help you come back up the other thing that i find really important is finding out what is important to you and what is not i sat in a masterclass that Wendy Nielsen was giving a few years ago. And somebody had asked her, what are the steps to success? And Wendy's response was amazing. She said, it depends on what success means to you. I've been away from my family for nine years. My My whole family lives in Montreal. I now live on the West Coast. Success to me meant that I had to make a sacrifice to be away from my family. I wanted to find a place where I can connect with other people that love music. And if it means that I don't see my family, but that to me was what I needed to do to be successful in my own way. Like it was the sacrifices that I had to make. And I have absolutely no regrets.
0: So what's next for Kim during the Christmas season? I know right before we started our conversation, you were telling me about how you were performing in front of 45 people today. And that's really exciting. Um, I know. <laughs> what will you be working on as you get closer to the Christmas season?
1: Uh, so like you had mentioned, I, uh, I just started working at Pacific Opera Victoria. I've just closed a recital series with Megan Latham. We did three performances in front of a live audience this week, with today being our last performance. Last week, I did five performances with Dana Coolidge and Lara Higord-Hyde, and we performed five nights in a row, also with us, a, a small audience of 45 members. The audience loved it. And, you know, there would always be one person, if not more, that would come up to say and say, oh man, it feels so nice to, to be in a, a space with live music again. What's coming up is actually quite exciting. We're starting rehearsals with, I want to say, nine singers.
0: That is unheard um, of.
1: I Right? <laughs> unheard of in the last nine months. Uh, we, we start rehearsals for this opera called Garden of Alice by Elizabeth Raum. Instead of it being performed for a live audience, they're making a movie out of it. Glynis Lation is directing, Timothy Vernon is conducting, and we have... Tracy Dahl, Megan Latham, Justin Welsh is the white rabbit, Peter Monaghan, Peter McGilvery, Like it's just, it's just a really great cast. And, and yet we'll be, do, so we'll be in rehearsals for that for about a month and a half. Uh, another thing also that I just finished up in the education department, we started this new program called the Civic Engagement Quartet. It's kind of like a young artist program, but not. And we kind of gave them this huge project to build a 20 minute video of music or songs, anything that they like that connects them to a story that they want to share with. So it's actually quite similar. I'm not sure if you saw it. we came out, I want to say three weeks ago with Miriam Khalil. Uh, it was the songs my mother taught me. So it's kind of a similar similar project to that, but we kind of gave the singers like you choose the repertoire you choose all the B-roll that you want to put together. You're, you're producing, directing, acting. You're doing it all. And it's it has actually been a really interesting and fun journey to be with them on. That, that, that's one thing that I find really hard is in university, you never, you never get to do what you want to do. So giving them this you know, kind of a carte blanche of you have 20 minutes of doing whatever you want. What do you want to do with it? There's a lot of really interesting things happening, which I'm really excited.
0: What is your vision of what our community of musicians and artists can look like in a world after COVID? What do you see as challenges? And, and what do you think um, we can all strive for?
1: I'm not sure yet, because I think that it's, you know, there is an ever-changing story that's happening right now. I do think that going online is not a healthy option. Just like we need physical touch, we also need music for the soul. It, it feeds our soul and whatever music it is, if it's a, a Maroon 5 concert or, you know, going to listen to some classical guitar playing in a small venue of 30 people. There's always a connection that's being made. I do think that live music will be coming back. We like things a certain way. Yes, we do adapt, but it doesn't mean that we will never go back to the way it was. It will be, it will definitely be different, but I do think that live music will come back. If it's, you know, back to little salon versions, like, you know, what Schubert did in his, in his living room with art song, then so be it and it'd be more intimate. And then, you know, maybe that's the case. And then, but we just have more concerts. So it's still open to the broader audience and not kind of just like restricted to a small elite crowd. Cause I don't, I don't believe in that at all, but maybe it's just not the 10,000 people that are in an auditorium. I, I, I do want to stay as hopeful as possible and as optimistic as possible. It is very hard what we're going through but i will say that one thing that i'm extremely grateful is it has brought loved ones closer together my my husband lives in the states and we're very used to only seeing each other every 3 weeks or so the pandemic gave us a chance to live together for 6 months you know to be able to experience that and be closer today because of that like that's something that i will say that would not have happened if the pandemic hadn't happened. Right.
0: Is he also a musician?
1: He is. Yeah. He's the music director for okay. symphony.
0: Oh, very cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. So we're, we're, we're both conductors. It's funny. Cause people often ask us if we're, you know, if we ever, we feel like we're competing, but you know, I'm, I'm very much in the opera world and he's very much in the symphonic world. We often, you know, kind of, throw ideas past each other like oh like what do you think about this line or like we get music geeky but we try not to be music geeky because there's there's so much in life
0: kim thank you so much for speaking with me today uh this evening i should say thank you for
1: asking me (laughs) of course
0: of course of course um i would love to have you back on um in a in a couple months and see where things are at and what's happening um if you'd like to come back (laughs) yeah of
1: course oh my gosh i would love to
0: and as i promised i will make sure to come by to victoria and say hello
1: yes please do
0: for sure thank you so so much
1: thank you Allie.
0: thank you to duncan watts grant for editing and producing the show with me if you are one of our new listeners Remember to subscribe, like, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcast. As always, make sure to support your local arts and cultural institutions in any way you can. Thank you for listening.